Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. I was uh, just looking around while we were singing that song, and man, some of y'all, I'm looking at your faces, and I'm seeing stories of God's faithfulness in your life over the past year and a half, and so if I know you personally and you need a reminder of how God's been faithful to you, let, let me know. So many people in this room I've, I've prayed for over the last year, year and a half, and I've seen God do some amazing things in your life. And sometimes we can only see those things in our rearview mirror, right? And you can only see how faithful God's been, not as he's doing it, because as he's doing it, it's terrible, right? But after it's over and you see his faithfulness and you see how he took care of it, his way, his own special way, it makes a lot makes a lot of sense. So anyway, one of the greatest blessings in my life, and I told the first service this, and I'll tell you um, because it's true for you too, is that one of the greatest blessings in my life and one of the ways that I see the evidence of God's goodness in my life is, is through you. Just the privilege of getting to, to love on you and give you your hugs every week, um, which we couldn't do last year, right? Then they went through that whole, should I fist bump? Should I high five? Should I toe tut? You know, whatever. Um, so it's just good. It's just good to be back hugging again. Amen. Um, this morning, I want to talk um, a little bit about uh, finances. Waiting for the shears. Now, before before I do so, I, I I know what you normally think when you go into a church and you hear they're going to talk about finances. Hopefully, I can broaden this out a little bit um, because the I want to talk about some principles today that I think ultimately shape our lives. And if we can get these principles down, whether it's finances, whether it's health, um, whether it's work ethic, whether it's how we do our job, whether it's how we build relationships, if we can get these three principles down, I think it's going to change just the way we do life. And so, yeah, they're absolutely, I'm going to talk about them in the context of finances, but they're also three principles that I think are just going to help us, help us live better lives. And this is my subject today. I'm going to talk from the subject of it's not about the money. It's not about the money. It's not about the money. And of course, every time I say that, I want to sing money, 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 money. I almost sang there. Who's, where's, anyway. But it's not about the money. Now, when I say that, some of you are like, well, actually it is, right? <laughs> like, uh, maybe not with your bank account, but with mine, it actually is about the money. And I just want to say before, before I get started that I get that. Like, I understand that for some of you, it really is a money issue. That maybe, maybe you were laid off and you have not been able to find income or a job that would make near as much as you were making. And so, yeah, it is. Actually, it, it's, it's kind of about the money. Or maybe, maybe you uh, were hurt. And maybe you're going through something and you can't work anymore, or maybe um, you're, you had to take um, non-paid time off because something happened. And so it is about the money in your situation. And I get that. I just want to say that up front. But I think there's some principles that aren't necessarily just about money that we can apply to our lives, no matter our income level, no matter how, what size house we, have in, uh, we live in, no matter what kind of car we drive. I think there's some principles that we can apply to our lives that are going to kind of change the way we do our, our finances. If, 
a lot of you were honest when it comes to your finances today, you would say, if you were really honest, you would say, you know what? I do have a ways to go. Like, I am not good at managing my money. For some of you, it's because you were never taught how to manage your money. And what, one of the things I've noticed in my short time of being a pastor is that there's some things that are passed down and money management is one of them. And so, because some of you were never taught how to manage your money, now you stink at it too, right? Some of you, others of you, you would say, you know what, I am a, like a therapy spender. I'm a therapy shopper. Anybody doing, do shopping therapy? You don't have to raise your hands. It's embarrassing. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty too. I'm guilty too. I like new stuff for therapy. And so it doesn't have to be anything big, right? Some of you, you shop when you're sad, right? And then you shop to celebrate being happy, right? And then you shop to celebrate when you're not feeling anything, right? And so some of you, if you were honest, you would say, you know, I do have like some spending issues. I have some spending habits. I have some problems. I don't know how to manage my money. It's not just about the money. It's, it, it's, it's, about, it's, about more, it's about more than that. Some of you would say, my priorities have been off for a long time. Like not just in my finances, but my priorities have been off in relationships. They've been off in, in, in what I've put my faith in. My priorities have been off. I want us to look at three principles, today that I hope will help shape our lives. Because if you've noticed, our lives aren't about what we do occasionally, but they're about the principles we live by consistently. You ever thought about that? Let me say that again. Our lives aren't about what we do occasionally. They're about the principles we live by consistently. For instance, I can go a night without brushing my teeth, right? right? Is that okay with y'all? Some of y'all are like, no, it's happened, okay? I'm just keeping it real, you know? <laughs> or I brushed my teeth, and then I ate ice cream, and then I fell asleep. Don't judge me. Anyway, I can go. I can go a night without brushing my teeth, right? I can do it occasionally. But what happens if I go a year, two years, three years? I can eat one cheeseburger. Probably not going to raise my cholesterol. Probably not going to gain 10 pounds, but what if I eat one cheeseburger each meal for six months? It's probably going to cause some stuff, right? My life isn't determined by what I do occasionally, but the principles I live by consistently. And here's how I know that, because anybody can do something one time, right? You can go to the gym one time. You can love someone one time. You can forgive somebody one time. You can put up with somebody one time. You can... You can do some things one time, right? But the successful people don't do things occasionally. They do them consistently. And in our culture today, one of the biggest things that's missing is consistency. Consistency in character, consistency in spending, consistency in who you are, consistency in work ethic. I was telling somebody the other day, like, I'm convinced that if you go to your, your work and you show up consistently, you're going to rise above everybody else. You don't have to be that smart. Because our lives are shaped by not what we do occasionally, but the principles we live by consistently. It's the same way when it comes to our finances. And when it comes to our finances, one of the things that I've noticed is that there are a lot of people that want God to prosper them without living by the principles that God's given them. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, in your life, that's, that's, that, that's a huge thing, right? Like, I, 
a, a lot of people, as I, as I talk with them, they expect God to bless them in one way. They expect his prosperity, but they don't want to live by the principles that he's given them. And the problem with that is, is that God has given us some principles to live by. He's given us a character to, with, to uphold. But if you consistently live against those principles, you're not going to go to a good place because that's just the system, the world system that he set up, right? It's not his fault. It's just the way things are. You reap what you what you sow. And sure, he's good and he's gracious and he'll, and he'll bring you back and he'll redeem that and he'll change some things and he'll still love you, but don't expect God to prosper if you're not willing to live by his, his principles. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. The first principle, contentment. Contentment. In 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to his protege named Timothy. Some of y'all thought it was a trick question. Paul is writing a letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy. And Paul, in the section we're about to read, he's, he's, he's writing this letter, and he's basically in the context of there's some people that are misusing their faith for their own earthly gain. In other words, they're manipulating people so that they can get rich. As a matter of fact, some of you, that's why you don't tithe. Right there. Simple, right? You've seen pastors. You've seen churches. You've seen people. You've seen nonprofits that manipulate you to get something for you for their own selfish gain, haven't you? And so Paul in 1 Timothy is, is speaking out against this, and he's saying, you can't, you, you can't do that. He's, he's condemning that. And then in verse 6 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says, yet yeah, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. The word contentment, if you look it up in the dictionary, means an inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of outward circumstances. So in other words, the thing that makes us content is that thing that reminds us that we're okay when it doesn't feel like we have enough. It's that thing inside of us, that thing deep that we think is shallow, but it's really actually deep. It's that thing that when everything else seems to crumble, it's that thing that says, you know what, you're, 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 you're okay. That's, that's con contentment. And whether you know it or not, whether you're a believer in Jesus in the room or not, the deepest need you have for contentment is Jesus. He created you for relationship, and aside from that relationship with him, you will always be chasing contentment. The deepest need, the thing that is going to finally satisfy you, maybe not all the time because we're not perfect walking with him, but the only thing that is going to satisfy that need inside of you is Jesus. It sounds, sounds like the church answer, right? But it's true. It's Jesus. But that's not what society tells us, is it? Do y'all ever look at Facebook, Instagram? Y'all better raise your hands because I see you. I see you. Some of y'all don't need to be on there because I see what you post. But some of you, I know you're on there, okay? But have you ever, the other day I searched shoes, workout shoes, I've bought two pairs of shoes now. Because why? Because they try to sell me something, right? And so when, when I search for it, then I scroll through my feed, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Instagram, whether it's, it's a news site, whatever it is, they're tracking everything. And so I begin to scroll through it, and there's something in my mind, whether I think about it or not, there's something in my mind that says, oh, that, that would make me happy. Like that, that, that would finally be it, right? Whether it's face creams, 
I hope Melissa's watching online. She had to take Riley home. Whether it's face creams, whether it's shoes, whether it's clothing, whether it's a workout, right? There's always something that's saying, if you want to be content, you go do this, right? If you want to be content, you do this. But the only place to truly find that fulfillment and that contentment is not on a screen. It's okay. I'm not condemning Facebook or Instagram this morning. But what I'm saying is, that's not going to satisfy your need for contentment. No matter how much you buy, no matter how many ads you respond to, it's not going to satisfy. But what happens is we, we realize that at our deepest level, and so we click and we buy, or we get their attention, because contentment chasing can come in the relationships we try to form, or we get their attention, or we buy that, or we get that thing, and then we realize that wasn't what I wanted. And so what do we do? We have to go buy out. And buy another pair of shoes, right? Or we have to go, go out and we have to talk about somebody else to make ourselves feel inflated again. And we're chasing this contentment and it becomes a never-ending circle of contentment chasing. Have you ever been there? And so before long, you've fallen into deeper and deeper debt or deeper and deeper habits or deeper and deeper problems, all chasing this need that only Jesus can satisfy. But Paul says, Contentment isn't about what you have. It's about who you have. And sure, Paul is, Paul is talking about Jesus. Like, absolutely. He's saying that Jesus is the thing that is going to be content. But he, I think he's also pointing to, to our relationship with each other. Have y'all realized how some of it is because of the pandemic and we were told to stay at home? But some of it's because we do hire behind our phones and some of it's because of the, the media that we consume, and some of us just because of the society we live in, but have y'all noticed how isolated we've become? And what happens is we have this need for contentment, and the people around us are the ones that are supposed to build us up. They're the ones who are supposed to remind us that we have the only thing we need, but what we do is we isolate. And isolate, isolation almost works in the same way because when we start to feel bad, we isolate. And as we isolate, it makes us feel worse. And so we get in this never-ending cycle, which, by the way, that's why having a church building open and you being here is important. Because we're, we're created. We're created for, for, for a relationship with Jesus, but we're also created for a relationship with, with each other. Because you're the, you're the one that reminds me when I had a bad week, Jesus, or Jonathan, you have something deeper than just the situation you went through this week. So Paul is saying, be content, not in what you have, but be content in and who you have. And then Paul goes on in chapter 6 to say, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now, if you've been in church or you were raised in a church, some people use this verse to say money is evil. You ever heard that? Money is evil. Paul is not condemning money in this verse. This is where people get that statement from, but that is not what he is doing. He is not condemning money. Paul says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. He's not condemning money. He's condemning what makes you content. So what Paul is saying is he's saying the love of money, when you try to replace and you try to fill that contentment hole with money, then it's an issue. Money is a good thing, right? I mean, Y'all agree? Money's a good thing. It gets you some good stuff. It, 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 it's necessary. It buys you food. It buys you a place to live. Money is a good thing. But Paul is saying, if that's where your contentment comes from, if that's the thing 
that you are trying to use to satisfy your chase for contentment, it's evil. He's not condemning money. He's condemning what makes you content. And I think it's really funny. He ends that verse by saying, because they've wandered away and they've pierced themselves with many sorrows. How fitting is that in today's culture when we're all connected all the time, literally, and I don't want to beat a dead horse here, and I don't want to sound like I'm against anything and, or that I'm saying that social media or me, news media as a whole is, is evil, but oftentimes that's what we're doing when we see the pictures of them on vacation or when we ignore the people in the room so that we can watch their, the, somebody else's story. What we're doing is we're piercing ourselves in the back because we were content until we started looking, right? It's like going to the Pizza Inn buffet, Right? You don't realize this stuff until you, un, un, until you leave, right? If I go to the Pizza Inn buffet, I don't realize how miserable I'm going to be while I'm eating the pizza. Right? You don't realize as you're scrolling what this is really doing to you until you back up. You flip it, you turn your phone off, and you sit down, and you're like, I felt good about myself before I started looking. I felt good about myself before the 10th piece of pizza. And the blueberry upside down. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah, right? I see the evidence. Okay. <laughs> Comparison will kill your contentment. Comparison will kill your contentment. And it's not just a female problem. Guys, it's an us problem too. It's easy to lay that at the feet of females talking about body image. But men... We're guilty too. Comparison will kill your contentment. Second one is confidence. Contentment and confidence. In Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching and he puts it like this. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat and rust destroy them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up or store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. What is most valuable to you? Your treasure is what you put your confidence in. The thing that you hold most dear is what you're putting your confidence in right now. So my question is, what are you putting your confidence in? What are you putting your confidence in when, when everything else goes away? When everything else shakes down and everything else falls away, what is the thing that you put your confidence in? Is it your money? Is it someone? Is it your family? What are you putting your confidence in? Because Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there's your heart. In other words, wherever you put your confidence in, there's your heart. What do you put your confidence in? Because putting your confidence in something means you trust it to do what it was created to do, right? If I, if I trust my car, if I put confidence in my car, I trust it to do what it's created to do. I trust it to get me from one place to the other, right? This, this table, done a pretty good job of holding my iPad and my water and my phone, right? I mean, it's a little, somebody needs to work on this. Anyway, but it's done a pretty good job because that's what it's created for, right? But let's say that I decided I want to make this microphone my, my stand for my iPad. Made some of y'all nervous. Or better yet, let's say. Decided, decided to use this as my microphone. And 
What am I doing? I am trying to use something in a way that it wasn't created to. I'm putting my confidence in something to do that it, what it was never meant to do. And that is oftentimes what we do with our money. We chase after it. We try to go get it. And we try to trust it to do something that it was never created to do. Jesus says, it's, it's where your treasure is. If you want your money to try to make you content, it's going to fail. What are you putting your, your confidence in? And, and by the way, that translates to every area of our life. If you're looking for them to do something and to give you an identity only Jesus can give you, it's going to be like, because it, it was never their job to give you contentment and to give you identity. Don't trust, don't put your confidence in something to do what it was never intended to do. Money is good, but it ain't worth your confidence. It's a good thing, but it ain't worth your, worth your confidence. Some of us today, you feel like a failure, and one of the reasons why you feel like a failure is because you have been trying to do something you weren't created to do. And so because you can't be like them, and because you can't quite have that, and because you can't quite be that perfect mom that you've seen them be, and because you can't quite provide your family as a husband the way that you've seen them provide, you're trying to be something that God never intended for you to be, and you have lost your confidence in yourself. Because you're trying to be something that God never intended for you to be. You're trying to, when you were meant to be a, stand. How has God created you? How has he uniquely gifted you? What, is he, what has he given you? Yeah, you may not be the same mother or the same father or the same husband or the same teenager that they are, but God's given you something to do too. This is, um, this is a, a struggle for me when it comes to finances. I have to be honest. The confidence thing, because I'm always preparing for what if. And so I like to have a safety net financially. Anybody else? The problem with my safety net is I'll get to a certain goal. I'll think the net's big enough. And then I'll start wondering what else could happen. And then what do I want? I want the safety net to get bigger, right? And then I start thinking, Riley's at a different age now. Something happens, it's going to cost more. So what do I want? I want the safety net to get bigger. As a matter of fact, Melissa has, has asked me several times, she's like, how big is our safety net going to get? What, at what point are we going to trust God? There's nothing wrong with a safety net. There's nothing wrong with a retirement plan. Nothing wrong with a 401k. But what has your confidence? Is it your safety net? Or are you going to trust God in any area of your life? Not just finances. Are you, do you always have something on the back burner because you're not willing to trust God? It's okay to have something on the back burner, but not if you're going to take it off the back or take God off the burner altogether. So, here's a test to see how this is going for you. When something happens that you didn't expect, where do you turn first? Financially, relationally, where do you turn first? What's your first reaction? 
Is it, oh, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Because that puts confidence in me. Where do you turn first? Where's your contentment? Where's your confidence? And where's your commitment? You knew they had to all start with C's, right? Because it's more spiritual that way. Where's your commitment? Matthew 6, says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So do not worry about tomorrow. Some of you are thinking, I've heard that easier said than done. Easier read than done. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Our money follows what we're committed to. What are, what are you seeking? Because one of the ways that you can see what you're truly committed to is judging by your generosity. Are, are you committed to more, having more, getting more, being more? Are you committed to giving more, caring more, loving more? In other words, are you committed to God and to others? Or are you committed to yourself? Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. In other words, your number one priority should be the kingdom of God. That means God, and that means his people. Generosity will always follow your commitment. Will always follow your commitment. Jesus is basically asking, what are you committed to? He's saying, I know you have trouble. I know today has plenty of trouble, but, but what are you committed to? What are you, what are you focused on? When Melissa and I first met, we became friends at first, but it didn't take long for that girl to get my focus. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And so, like, I spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of money, mainly at Zaxby's on chicken sandwiches. I have no idea. It's chicken finger sandwiches. I have no idea why. Anybody tried the new chicken sandwich? I haven't yet. Is it good? Awesome. But I spent a lot of time, money, energy. I thought about her in class. I thought about her on my way to class. I thought about her on my way back from class. I thought about her when I was with her. I thought about her when I wasn't with her. Why? Because she had my focus because I was committed to her, right? Jesus is saying, where is your focus? Is it on me? Is it on the kingdom of God? Because that should be number one. For believers, if you're not a believer in the room, this doesn't apply to you. You get, you get out. But if you're a believer in the room, where's your focus? Where's your priority? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't worry about that stuff, but seek first the kingdom of God. Because when I trust the source, I don't worry about the supply. Right? When I trust the source, I don't worry about the supply. But here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that especially as believers, we have become so short-focused that we've forgotten that even eternity exists. And so we deal with whatever's in front of us, right? Whatever is in front of us seems like a mountain. And if it doesn't go just our way, and if we don't get that, and if we, and if we don't get just what we want, then we feel like the world's falling apart. And what Jesus is saying and what God would say to us is there is a kingdom. There is a, a thing that is so much bigger than just what's right in front of you. I think we forget this when a loved one dies. 
grief is real. Jesus grieved. But if you're a believer, you do not grieve as if you have no hope because eternity is a real thing. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, what basket are you putting all your eggs when it comes to your finances? When it comes to your relationships, when it comes to your worry, what basket are you putting your eggs in? Because the the thing that really matters is eternal and it's not just right now. And some of you, that's a great word for you right now because you're going through something and it feels like it's going to last forever. And it has lasted forever, it feels like. But there's a kingdom, there's an eternal kingdom that hasn't checked out that you should stay committed to. The enemy will try to tell you it's not going the way you want it to because it's not going the way you want it to right now. Jesus says, seek first, be committed to the kingdom of God because that is where your hope lies. So how do we do it? Let me make it practical. Three quick things. Number one is conversate. These had to start with C2. Number one is conversate. And what I mean by that is if you want to get this right in your family, within the series family drama, if you want to get this right in your family, you're going to have to talk about it as a family. What I've noticed is that a lot of times spouses particularly don't talk about finances because they know what happens every time they talk about finances and what it leads to. But since you're both here, both watching online, maybe it'll make it a little easier if somebody else tells you, you need to talk about it. You need to have an open conversation. You need to have an honest conversation. You need to have a gracious conversation. You need to have a give and take conversation. You need to, you need to talk about it. You need to converse. And it may be that you even need to talk about it with your family, with your kids. Because some of us have been living at a certain place financially that there's no way we sustain if if we're going to find our contentment, our confidence. If we're going to find it in Jesus, there's no way it can stay there. If we're committed to him, we're not going to be able to continue to live at that level. And your kids are going to notice you have to have some honest conversation. You have to con- conversate. Number two, you're going to have to compromise. This is a this is kind of a budgeting thing. And if if you need to know how to budget, I, I or someone at the church would love to help you. We I, I have a I have a, a blank template that I can put in your hands, or I can email you if you just let me know. But this is a this is a budgeting question. You have to compromise because. There's some things that you've been spending your money on that really aren't that important. There's some things you've been spending your time. This may be a time thing, time management question. There's some things you've been spending your time on that really aren't that important. You're going to have to compromise on those things. Because you've been spending all of this time, energy, effort, money, and you figured out that if I'm committed to Jesus and I'm seeking his kingdom first, this stuff doesn't really matter anyway. I need to give more. I need to be more generous. I need to, I, I need to, 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 to bless people more. I need to, I need to do some things and I've got to compromise some of this stuff that doesn't really matter. You've got to compromise with yourself and you've got to compromise with each other. If you're going to budget as a family, you may love going out to eat, but you may have to compromise that if that's your thing. You may love going shopping for clothes and you're going to have to compromise because you're going to have to take some off there when you realize how much less money or how much more you're spending than what you're making. You're going to have to compromise somewhere. Compromise 
And then the last one is commit. Commit. This is a priorities question. How can you be more committed to Jesus? Sounds really churchy. That's a good question. In your finances, in your relationships, in the way you manage your time, in the way that you give, in the things that you worry about, the things that you concern yourself about, how can you be more committed to Jesus as a, as a parent? What is going to be the thing your family is going to be committed to? Is it going to be, is it going to be church? Is it going to be helping them understand how much Jesus loves them when they go to a, to a school and a world that is decreasingly Christian, post-Christian culture? Is that going to be the thing you're going to be committed to? Is it going to be something eternal? What are you committed to? With every head bowed and every eye closed, there's some of you in the room this morning and you've been living for everything you know to. And you keep chasing contentment. And it's not working. I would wonder this morning if you have a relationship with Jesus. Sure, you won't always feel completely content. We would never feel fully at home on this side of eternity. But if you don't have any contentment inside at all and it's always the next purchase, the next thing, I would wonder, do you have true contentment from the only source that can really give it? If you're in here this morning and you're not committed to Jesus, if you could just say this prayer after me, there's nothing magical about it. It's more of just a confession. You don't even have to, you don't even have to know what it all means. Just know that you're desperate because you need something inside of you fixed and you've been trying to fix it yourself and just hadn't gotten there. Say, Jesus, I feel empty. I'm sinful. I've missed the mark. I've messed it up. I've disobeyed. But Jesus, I want to be fulfilled. I want contentment. So I don't know how it all works, but I believe it. I believe you lived a perfect life. I believe you died. I believe you rose. So I ask you to come into my life. I turn my life over to you. I commit myself to you. In Jesus' name. For everybody else in the room, what is one step you can take towards being a more committed Christ follower? Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Lord, the, the things that people are thinking right now, I just pray that they would get down deep. God, the thing they need to stop, the thing they need to start. God, the time they need to prioritize differently, the finances they need to restructure. God, just the old way of thinking, they need to retrain themselves to think. God, help for them to take that step. Jesus, thank you so much for, for money. Lord, let us be good stewards of it. God, and I thank you so much for these wonderful people. God, thank you for the honor to, to teach your word. God, I pray that you would help for us to be more committed than ever. In Jesus' name, amen.